Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Make Light Show. Now, if there's one thing that I hold as a really high priority for my life and my family, it's travel. And I realize that this can sound really bougie, but the truth is that I have no problem driving a crappy car or wearing cheap clothing or scrimping on all other areas of my life as long as I can get on a plane at some point during the year. Now, as a multiracial, multinational family, this actually isn't that surprising. I mean, for sure, my husband and I, and I like to go back home to our home countries to visit our family. But as immigrants into the United States, it's also really important that our American daughter really see the world. We feel it's really important for her to understand how her life is different from the lives of people in other countries, but more importantly, how much she might have in common with people from other countries. So it's no wonder then that I've been a fan of the travel writing of my friend Pam Mandel for years. Now, unlike many travel writers who share only the brightest and sexiest and most luxurious of travel destinations, Pam often writes about her travel through the lens of the connections that she makes with the people that she meets, the wonder, how her life is different from their lives, but more importantly, how it's the same. And she actually has a book coming out at the end of the year. It's a a dirtbag 80s travel memoir. That's how she calls it. And so I really, really was excited to have her on the show. And as we talked, I was actually really surprised that for someone who travels as much as she does and um, finds travel as important to her life as she does, and as I do, In some cases, our thoughts on travel differed. So sit back and relax and get ready to learn all about the wonder of travel and what you can get out of it and what you might not get out of it. Pam and I are next on today's episode. Welcome to the Make Light Show, the podcast that's all about infusing your life and work with meaning and using your superpowers to change the world. I'm Karen Walrand leadership coach and author of the best-selling book, The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit. Join me as we explore ways to curate an intentional life and positively impact those around you in the process. Work your purpose, change your world, make light. So before we get into this week's episode, as always, I wanted to mention that, you know, I'm a leadership coach and that means that I've helped people around the world help navigate difficult situations at work or get really comfortable in their new positions, leadership positions or their new jobs or launch new businesses or just infuse their work with meaning and purpose. And I would really love to work with you. So if you'd like to work with a coach whether or not you're an entrepreneur, a corporate executive, or just someone with passion and a plan that needs executing, please check out my website at karenwalrand.com forward slash coach. That's K-A-R-E-N-W-A-L-R-O-N-D.com forward slash coach for more information. My first session is always free. And if you just mentioned that you heard this on the Make Light Show, I'll give you 15% off a six session package and 20% off a 12-session package. It's really, really simple. So check me out at karenwalrand.com forward slash coach and mention that you heard me here. I can't wait to meet you. And with that, 
Let's just dive into that interview with the wonderful Pam Mandel. Enjoy. Pam, I am so thrilled that you are here on the Make Light Show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, you know, I was trying to figure out, like, how long ago we met. Like, it has to be a decade, right? At least. And it was at a conference, but I I don't remember. Like, and, and I feel like I already knew your work when we met, but it's been a long, long time. So we, I think, ages back, you were maybe at Gadling. Yes, I was. Is, is that That's right? right. Gadling.com. That's right. The travel site. And you were one of the people who tried to get me to come on. I had been living in Austria. Yeah. And I remember trading mail with you about joining Gadling. And then later we met in person backstage at the community keynote at Blogger. At but Blogger. I think that is the first time we met in person. Wow. Yeah. And that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. And you and I have had a friendship, a long distance friendship ever since you helped my husband uh, look for a ukulele for me because <laughs> you did, are quite that. the ukulele um, <laughs> yeah. enthusiast and actually yeah, and, you, and kind of a virtuoso. I'll say it. Yeah, uh-uh, I'm, nope. gonna, <laughs> uh-uh. I'm going with that. No, we're going to do right. that. OK, <laughs> I mean, you, you're one of my favorite travel writers. Like you've always um, got such a really interesting perspective on travel. And I was wondering, are you a traveler from way back? Like, did you grow up traveling a lot? How did you get involved in traveling? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. No, that's not entirely true. I do know. Um, so I was an exchange student at 16. And was um, that your first travel that, experience? So that was the first time that I traveled abroad by myself. Um, we moved around a lot. My okay. family moved around a lot when we were kids. Um, I don't know. It's a different kind of experience, but you do always have to, you're often ending up somewhere new. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I have a broad definition of what counts as travel, but. Oh, do you? Oh, well, well let's start with that. What, what, well, how do you define that? Anytime you're somewhere new where you don't totally understand how things work, I feel like that counts as travel. Okay. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to get on a plane and go somewhere far away. Um, I ended up in deep in some red state kind of situation about maybe 45 minutes from my home Mm. recently. And I was like, this is a really different place (laughs) than where I'm used to being. So, and you're in Portland, just for everybody to know you're in Portland or Seattle. Seattle, Sorry, Seattle. Oh gosh. That's like totally insulting to everybody involved there. Sorry about that. (laughs) Seattle. And I love Seattle too. Now we have to go to war. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all the Portlanders out there and the Seattleites out there. I'm so sorry. So, so let's start from the very beginning. What, using your definition Yeah. What is the first travel memory you have? Wow. Hmm. I know. So, so when I was very, very small, we lived in El Paso, Texas. Wow. And I remember going to Juarez with my family. Mm. I have this, it's a very strange, specific, tiny memory of my dad picking me up to lift me over some water in a gutter in Juarez. And I don't <laughs> remember a whole lot else about it. How old were you then? I might have been four. Wow. Wow. So you have been traveling all your life. Yeah. yeah I guess that's so. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't remember a whole lot else about it, but I see pictures and I'm like, oh yeah, we did that. So yeah. yeah. 
That's yeah. Amazing. I also, here's another thing I remember. I remember uh, the first time I was on an airplane, I got, and they, it was one of those airplanes with the roll up stairs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and I remember that we took this flight and we got off the plane and I threw up right on the landing as soon as I stepped out of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not a natural traveler right away. Then. I, I, I'm not a great flyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so fast forward to 16 years old and you became yeah. an exchange student. Where did you go? Yeah, I was in Sweden. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. From El Paso I, to Sweden? That- no, by, the, by <laughs> then we were living in California. Okay, all right. Fair um, so I was, uh, and I was kind of, a, I was an advanced language student and um, there was a lot of other stuff going on in my family at the time. And I had been in multiple high schools, but okay. I had a teacher, my Spanish teacher recommended me for foreign exchange. And so I got picked up by Youth for Understanding and I got sent to Sweden for the summer. What part and of that, Sweden? Uh, so I was kind of in the south in the middle, which I um, snarkily refer to as the Lake District. Yep. Um, so I think there. they refer to that. I actually just got back from Sweden this summer. And I kind of feel like they sort of describe it that way as well, in a way. Like, it's so, it's so watery, right? Like, Sweden has a lot of inlets and and lakes and stuff like that. It's really beautiful. But this was, this was kind of in the middle towards the south. And then they also had a summer house, as good Swedes do, on the Baltic Sea. And so we split our time between their home town in the Lake District and this summer house on the Baltic Sea. And how long were you there? I was just there for the summer. That's kind of epic. And especially Swedish summers are amazing, right? Like with all that midnight oh, sun. It was, it was amazing. And I, my understanding is that Sweden has become a much more diverse place than it was when mm. I was there. Mm. But when I was there, I was diversity, um, <laughs> which is weird, right? Like I'm, a, I'm like this just a white girl from California, but Swedes are so tall and so blonde, at yep. least the sort of your standard demographic for Sweden was very tall and very blonde and very fair. And I was this, this short person with, I have very dark hair yep. and people would come up to me on the beach. Uh, people would come up to me everywhere. And because I looked so different from what they were used to. It was and, really weird. And did your host family speak English? Yes, they did. Okay, they spoke so, excellent so, English. Yeah. Yes. I, it seems that way to me as well. When I was there, like a, a, my a very dear friend of mine lives there, um, an American friend, and he's actually trying to learn Swedish. Like he's trying to get a tutor and everybody's like, why? Like nobody right. speaks Swedish outside right. of Sweden. Like, you know, everybody speaks English. So, yeah. So that's okay. So, was that when you got the travel bug? Like, I mean, there's, it's yeah. one thing to be an exchange student. It's another thing to actually make your living writing and talking about travel. Yeah. So at that point, I like I got the fever, mm. <laughs> you know, like mm. I got really addicted to this feeling of being somewhere else um, that I didn't quite understand how things worked, that everything was a puzzle. Everything was. I don't necessarily want to use the word challenge because some places are challenging and other places are actually really easy. But the the idea, like I think a lot about that scene in the beginning of the wizard of Oz where Mm. like Dorothy is living in this black and white life and then she lands in Oz and everything is color. And every time I go somewhere new, it feels like I'm going from Oz from, from Kansas to no 
no dissing against Kansas. I haven't been to Kansas. Maybe Kansas is great. But <laughs> for me, it would be different than what I'm used to. So, but that bit where she drops into Oz and she like, she comes blinking out and everything is sparkly and different mm. and new. And like, I got really kind of crazy for that specific feeling. Mm. And and so like you use the word challenging at the very beginning, and I know you, you kind of backed away from it, but I feel like a lot of people who, uh, are resistant to travel, that's one of the stumbling blocks for them is that it's going to, you know, like I know here, I know where everything is here. um, And I don't want to be challenged. So what is it about the challenge um, as using that word loosely that that you loved? So you're forced to, you're forced to try to communicate with people in ways that you don't have to in your daily life. Mm. And then you learn things. You can't help but learn things through those interactions. And maybe they're really small things. Like, like I remember that the Swedes put jam on their ice cream and it was delicious. Right. And you go and get ice cream with jam. And that was a thing that we did in the summer. And like, I had to ask for that. I had to find out like, how do I get my ice cream here? And I understand that that's a sort of very basic pedestrian thing, but it's also really thrilling. There are these things where like when you try to figure out how to order coffee in all these places around the world, you have to have a conversation with somebody and then you learn little things about how the world works in other places. Mm -hmm. And that makes that for me, that makes my brain fire. And they can be really small things like that, or they can be much broader political things mm. about how societies work or where their priorities are, all those kinds of things. But as soon as you leave a place where you know how all the things work, as soon as you get out of your bubble, you have to find ways to, you know, just go about your daily business. And as a byproduct of that process, you learn how other places in the world work. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you get, you come back, you've had this amazing summer in Sweden. Yep. So you're 16. So you're getting close to graduating high school. Yeah. Like, did you immediately go, I'm going to be a travel journalist or, you know, like I'm no. going to be the new Rick Steves or. No, <laughs> like, Abs- what happened absolutely there? not. Okay. Absolutely not. So some other really complicated things happened. And now is the part where I tell you that I have a book coming out about this whole process. Nice. Because that is sort of what my book is about. Okay. Um, I was a very unexceptional and somewhat overlooked high school student and I did not qualify for university. Okay. Um, so I couldn't go straight to college. I had to do something else. And there was a lot of, there were a lot of other things going on with my family at this time. Um, I'm not going to uh, throw any cards out that are spoilers, but there's a bunch of stuff happening. And also I'm a Jewish kid. I come from a suburban Jewish family. My parents were, um, Bronx Jews. And my father was uh, very proud of his Jewish heritage. And because I didn't know what I was doing when my dad was like, oh, you're going to go do this thing. You're going to go do this trip to Israel. Mm. We're sending you to Israel for, you know, this is a high school thing. It's a very common thing where you send the Jewish kid to the Jewish homeland and they're supposed to like bond with the people and bond with the land. And it's basically a Zionist propaganda recruiting program. Um, so, or maybe a way to touch, get in touch with your own culture. Uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> I might think it's a Zionist propaganda recruiting program. Other people might have other feelings about this. Um, <laughs> I, so I, did you not enjoy your trip back to Israel? So let me just say in that Facebook way, it was complicated. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but So as a result of this trip, I met all these crazy dirtbag backpacker travelers, right? Mm. And I went on an insane epic adventure. So I basically traveled overland 
to Pakistan and India. This was 80. 1982, um, I traveled with the first version of Lonely Planet's India Guide, um, which was published in, I believe, 1981. So I did this insane travel. Wait, 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 wait. I need to to understand this. So you're in Israel and you meet Uh these people. Yeah. And... Were they they were involved with Lonely Planet or no? They just you, no, no, you no. just had the guide and you I just guys- had the guide and it happens there and it just happens to be that that first edition to Lonely Planet was published right the year before I did this crazy trip. Wow. So it was their first India guide. I met Tony Wheeler, the guy who founded a Lonely Planet with his wife Maureen some time ago, and I was like, "Hey, I traveled with your 1981 guide," and he was like, "That's." Crazy. That is crazy. Um, so, um, so what happened was like I just got crazy from the travel aspect of things. Wait, wait, so that I'm sorry, I, I know I keep stopping you. Right. So, like you're no, you okay. were it's 18, a, 19 years I old was, at this time. I was 17. <gasps> uh huh. So you graduated young. I graduated a year early. Yeah, and I was 17. You're traveling Israel and India by yourself with strange backpacker people. Yeah, that's amazing. It's insane. Um, uh, how old's your kid? She's 15. She's about yeah. to be 16. Like that's yeah, so, why I'm, I'm a little stricken. Yeah. By- <laughs> no, it's, it's heart attack inducing. Yeah. Um, and, and when, when you read the book and, um, you'll be like, no, this <laughs> no, no, this is all bad. This is all bad ideas. No. But the thing that, the thing that happened as a result of this was that I was also a voracious reader. And so mm. I read all these things. Like I got crazy from, the, like I would go to these places and I would read about them. You know, I read Orwell's Down and Out in London and Paris. And I read um, Paul Thoreau's The Great Railway Bazaar. And I read V.S. Naples Among the Believers. And mm. I read all these books. And I was just like, this is like, this is the world I wanted to inhabit. Um, so I just Wait, became. So, so these, so in, I mean, V.S. Naipaul, I love that you threw that in there because he's from my country. He's from, from Trinidad, Trinidad. So I love that yeah. you threw that in there. So these are books of, of people tra- writing about, I guess, their, these places. Yeah. And you're reading these while you're traveling. Yeah. Wow. That must yeah. have been a really amazing trip. Um, well, it was educational. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was. Yes, it was amazing in, in the true sense of the word. Yeah. That, like I was constantly amazed. Um, you must have come back a totally different person. I, I am absolutely a different person because of this adventure. I was transformed yeah. and I had crippling, um, debilitating culture shock for quite some time because I returned to suburban Orange County. Mm -hmm. And I remember not long after I got back, I went to the supermarket. I needed to buy something. I need to just like buy shampoo or something. And I was standing in the shampoo aisle at some Safeway or something in Orange County. And I was just overwhelmed. I was completely overwhelmed by the choices. And I burst into tears. Mm. I just was standing in this Safeway shampoo aisle sobbing about the abundance and my inability to make a decision about anything because there was so much and I had been used to, um, I I don't know. Like it makes it sound like I was suffering a life of deprivation, but it was so different. It can be overwhelming. Yeah, no, I get that. Like you go somewhere where, um, it's not that, you know, it's not that they don't have, but but there's a limited choice of what you get, right? That the right. choices are more limited. Um, and it's not that it's, it's painful to have that limitation. But then when you come to a place where 
the choices seem limitless. It can be overwhelming, yeah. right? Yeah. And I also think that the amount of information, right, there's something about uh, the amount of information that you're able to absorb in places where, say, say, say I'm in the, the shampoo aisle in an Indian supermarket yep. and every everything is in Hindi and I can only interpret a certain amount of that sure, stuff, right? Sure. So for me, the options are limited just by what I can perceive standing there in yep. the first place, right? Yep. And if you take that and then you drop it into Orange County circa 1984 and you're in this entire <laughs> aisle of stuff and I know what all the things are and I'm like, how does anybody decide about anything ever? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> like, how do you live in a world of of limitless options? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it definitely, yes, I was definitely a changed person and it took me a long time to sort of adjust to uh, living back in the U S like, I remember I couldn't go to Costco without having like a, a minor nervous breakdown. Every time I walked in there, <laughs> yeah. I was like, how, how can there be so many things? Right. So, so yeah, how, was, how long were you on that trip, that Israel India trip? Like so how long that, were you gone? That whole thing all told, which is, uh, the, the period of time that I cover in my book was three years. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've been gone for a while. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. What brought you back? I got sick. Okay. I, I had to come home. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got uh, a number of intestinal diseases as one does. And I was, I was just like, I was wasting away. I was like 93 pounds or something stupid and I was just skin and bones and I couldn't shake the bugs. And I was like, I'm never, I'm just not going to get better if Mm. I don't go home. And I just, I was like, that's it. I gotta, I gotta stop this. This is, this is ridiculous. I need somebody to properly take care of me and I need to get better so I can actually continue to exist. So, um, you know, I didn't have anything unusual. Uh, I just had the same kind of nonsense that people get when they, you know, travel in places that are not necessarily sanitary and they don't take good care of themselves. And also your body's just not used to, to, you know, like our bodies in here in America are used to certain American bugs, right? Like, so your body's just not used to, to different bugs. So, so how, so how long did you not travel then after you got back? So I went to college. Okay. Um, and study journalism, of course. No, I went to art school, Karen. <laughs> I went to art school. Wow. Yeah. So, so why not writing? Why not something like um, like writing? I don't. I, I really wanted to go to art school. I had always wanted to go to nice. art school. And so when I did that first trip and I got to go to Paris, it was like a dream come oh, true, nice. right? Like yeah. I'm like 17, 18 years old in Paris with my English boyfriend. And I get to go see all these. I get to go see all these famous, famous paintings by artists that I had loved. Um, so that was, you know, thrilling. And so that was a thing that I had always wanted to do. I, okay. I wanted to go to art school. So I didn't start to write until many years later. Like I didn't start to write seriously until many years later, okay. which was like in the early mid nineties after I had met my Austrian husband. Mm-hmm. Um, we got married, but I had met him and then I started going back and forth between my home in Seattle and his home in this small mountain town in Austria. And I was sending these long emails back home to my friends and my mm-hmm. family and my friend Jules, who I carpooled with when I was here in Seattle working was like, have you heard of this thing called blogging? You should do that. Mm. Um, so that was not until the mid nineties. I mean, I always liked to write and I had always written these letters home and I had always been told that I was good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not do it in any kind of serious way until I started blogging in the mid nineties. And was it your original blog is still the blog you have today? Nerd's Eye View, which is like the best um, name ever. 
Thank you. Um, it, yeah, almost, okay. almost. I had a, there, there were some migratory steps, right? Like, so, yeah, so I first was on a thing called MSN communities, which I think is gone now. Yep. And then I was on another platform called tripod, which is dead. Right. Um, wow. These are ones I've never even heard of, and I've been blogging yeah, a long time. Yeah. Um, and then after, after, um, I moved and, tr- and when I was on tripod, I just built everything by hand in HTML, like right. an idiot. Right. Um, and then, but I, you know, I learned how to code, so that was good. Yep. Um, and then I moved to Blogger. And okay. so everything that's on my site now, everything that's on Nerds Eye View now is, I think, like late, like 98, maybe 97. It starts from because the older stuff, I couldn't figure out how to get it out of there without just doing a lot of cut and paste by yeah. hand stuff. So I think the 97 stuff, all the contents on there is for NerdsEyeView.com has been there since the late 90s that's amazing. so yeah it's the same one yeah it's old it's really old yeah i, I love yeah. i love nerds i view you're so you're a, a gifted you. writer so so you um so you start travel writing in earnest how many countries at this point have you been to uh you know what i don't know the answer to that i can tell you that i have been to all seven continents which wow is crazy yeah but i don't i've never actually sat down and counted my countries wait wait let me let me say that so north south america europe asia africa um Antarctica and Australia. Yep. Wow. Wow. I've been to to all seven. Dang girl. Yeah. Crazy. Right. Yeah. I think it's crazy. I can't believe I got to, I got that seventh one. Right. Antarctica is like the last continent. And that wasn't that long ago, if I remember correctly, that was like maybe five years ago now. Cause I remember you doing that. Yeah. That's, that's intrepid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For sure. So now that you've have all of these continents under your belt. Yeah. How has your, how has your idea of travel changed over the years? Like, is it different from when you took that first backpacking trip um, after Israel? Or do you find it's um, bigger now? Or do you find actually you're like, yeah, I'm good. I, I don't need to travel as much anymore. Or um, the things that I loved then are not necessarily things I love now. Has anything changed? Yeah, there's a couple of things that have changed, actually. Um, A few things. I mean, I'm sure that as a uh, 18, 19, 20 something year old traveler, I was just a tiresome, insufferable (laughs) monster of a person who thought that if you were not sleeping in a hedge, you couldn't possibly be having any kind of meaningful adventure. (laughs) And we've actually had like camping arguments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but like it's it was much, much worse than that. Right. Like I'm sure. And everybody, everybody has experienced this like cliche, insufferable traveler. And I'm quite sure that I was that person mm. and I am not anymore. Like if you get out of your house and you go across town and you go eat something in some kind of restaurant that serves a cuisine you haven't had before, yeah. I'm like, I am all for that. That's awesome. You have your adventures. Like I'm, I have embraced the full spectrum of what can count as an adventure now. And I yeah. can tell, I'm, I am sure that I did not before. It does not matter to me if you like, I'm not in love with the, the cruise industrial comp. I think it's a little self-contained, yeah. um, but anything you do that gets you out of your initial, out of your sort of day-to-day existence, your, your bubble, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. the world that you live in and helps you interact with other kinds of people, other kinds of ideas to me, like 
that's all good. Mm -hmm. So I have embraced this broader spectrum of what it means to travel. Um, And the other thing that I've done more recently is that I've become really interested in the United States as its own destination, Mm -hmm. my home country. There is so much that I don't know about the United States. And it is a really, we live in a really interesting place. Um, And in the past, I don't know, two or three years, I've gone to um, three places that make me think about how much we have to offer here in the U S and how much we can have these like genuinely transforming experiences without even leaving our borders. Yeah. I went to, I went to Elko, Nevada to the cowboy poetry national, national I can't, I'm not going to say it right. It's the national cowboy poetry gathering. Oh my I God. think it's like the, cow, the cowboy <laughs> Who knew poetry. That existed? <laughs> it exists. It's, it's 20 years old. It's been going on wow. for a long time. And I went to the, to, so I went to Elko, Nevada, which is like in Northeast Nevada. It's in the far corner out in the plains. Wow. There's not much out there. Um, and um, one of the most thrilling things that happened there was that this young woman, who is an immigrant from Sierra Leone and a mining engineer mm-hmm. read a Maya Angelou poem on stage at a poetry slam. And I was like, Whoa, yeah. that's the most, what? Wow. Like yeah. who knew I was going to have that kind of experience in Elko, Nevada. I also ate amazing Palestinian food there. Wow. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, so I did that. I went to um, Branson, Missouri, um, which was, that was a challenging place. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I actually went to speak at a conference and I'm quite certain I will never be invited back, (laughs) Um, but I am okay with that. Um, And like, it was just a really, I was like, oh, this is like, this is a part of the, this is a part of the United States that like, I need to understand that these are my neighbors. These are my people. And I remember I had to share a table at breakfast at this, uh, this place that makes these giant sourdough pancakes, the kind that like cover your plate. And I was alone. I was, you know, I was traveling by myself and they sat me down with a, with a couple from Colorado Springs and another couple from Arkansas. And these are like your good old boy kind of people. Right. And I had to share a table with these people at breakfast and we spent the whole time talking about road trips and traveling. And it was actually really great when I got up to leave the the guy who was the long haul trucker, he was like, now you go back to Seattle and tell everybody that you met a real live hillbilly from Arkansas. Uh, and I was like, I was like, I, I will do that. And yeah. I, like, I felt there was some other stuff about Branson that's hard. You know, it's a, it's a very, um, uh, eh, I'm going to, I'm going to bypass this remark. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Strike that. But I think that's really, um, what you've just said is really interesting because I do feel like travel can be the great equalizer. Yes. And I've always said that, um, you know, I'm an immigrant. My husband's an immigrant. I lived in London for a while, which is where we met. And I always feel like like there's another country that we don't really talk about. And that is and the nationality of that country is expat. Like there's there's something that all expats that people who live in other countries and are immigrants of other countries kind of share in common that sort of. um ease with looking for adventure and, you know, right. and, and right. Um, the, the ease with which they are willing to make themselves uncomfortable by living in a different yes. country. And it's yes. something that we all have in common. So to me, like, um, like you can't judge a country by its expats because there's something a little bit different and a, a little bit um, unusual and novel about 
say a Brit in England who's never left and a, and a British expat or a right. um, American in, who's never left America and an American expat. So I, th- I think that what you say there about sort of finding something uh, very sort of common about among these people who were travelers as well, right? Like the long haul trucker, trucker, that's right. not surprising to me, right? There, there is something right. about that. And then the other thing about your comment about um, the U S and how much it has, I remember when my husband and I moved back to America from, from England, I told him, we didn't know how long we were going to be here. We thought it would just be a couple of years. Um, it's 13 years later, but we thought it was just going to be a couple uh-huh. of years. And yeah. I remember telling him we need to pick 10 countries for you to visit before we move back, because I think a lot of people outside of America think they come to New York and they've seen America. And New York is such a, you know, like every city has such a different um, personality Right. um, that to really say you've seen America and we picked 10. Seattle was one of them, but we picked uh, 10, 10 cities around the around the country to so that he could feel when we left um, that he had actually really seen America. So, right. but, so here's a question I have for you though. Um, I love, you know, it's really interesting to me that you're, you've developed this sort of passion for really um, delving deeper in America. And I think everything you said is correct. I think that's right. Like the, America is so huge and so diverse um, that you can be here your entire life and never know everything about um, what America is or looks like or anything else like right. that. Right. Do you think, um, that said, do you think it's one, is it important for people to travel? Like, is it a necessity? And two, is it important for people to travel outside of their country? I'd be really mm. interesting to hear about that. So I want to say yes, but I also understand that I'm saying as, as, as it being a necessity, like that people should travel. I want to say yes to that. But I also understand that I'm saying that from a place of uh, economic privilege. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so not everybody has the ability to do so. Yep. Not, I, I'm, I am not of the school where, you know, there's lots of there's lots of travel advice out there that'll be like, oh, everybody can do this. And I'm like, ah, I don't necessarily think that's true. Mm, OK. Um, I don't necessarily think that's true. You know, say you're you're caring for an aging parent, Mm -hmm. say you have a lot of debt, Mm -hmm. say you I mean, there are numerous scenarios in which I think that it is, you know, people who say, say you just have a large family and and you're just kind of a person with a job. Right. And you're like you you're saving your money to put your kids in college. So I think that there are good reasons why people do not travel. So. And, and again, to say it's a necessity, I think, is to speak from a place of privilege. And I, I try to be really mindful that not everybody has the resources. Uh, I don't have kids. Yeah. Right. So that's just like, you know, number one in my favor. It's really easy for me to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go do this thing because I don't have it. I don't have kids. Um, I have been living alone for uh, a while now. There's no other person I have to engage in my plans. Um, and that's that's all just really basic stuff. So. Um, so I'm going to go with this is a, my very long way of saying, no, I don't think it's a necessity. I think it is a great privilege. I think it is a great pleasure. I think it has much to offer. But I also think there are other ways to learn about the world. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's um, that it's a requirement. Remind me, what's the second part of this? Well, question? so the question was, is it a necessity? But. Um, before we, and I, I will tell you this, the second part in a minute, but, uh, 
when you say there are other ways to learn about the world, do you think therefore then it's a necessity to learn about the world? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I think it's essential. Okay. I think it, it, I, it, I just can't even, uh, yeah. <laughs> right? like, like, like I, I don't even know how to express in words the degree to which I think it is essential that we learn about the world. Mm. Um, because we have to share it with a lot of other people. And it's so easy to make assumptions about uh, what other cultures are like, what other people believe, all these things we can make up our minds about people. But then when we learn about the subtleties of what makes up their cosmology, to use maybe a broad word, what makes up their worldviews, we find uh, commonalities that I yep. don't think we would necessarily find in any other way. I did a story some time back for the Jewish Federation about, of all things, uh, marijuana. Okay. And as part of this, I interviewed a Hasidic rabbi um, to talk to him about, like, where's he come down on it? What are the what are the conservative, the extremely conservative Jews say about weed? All this stuff, and we disagreed on many, many, many things. Um, but I also this thing that he said to me as a result of this interview. Um, we were talking about there's there's a whole bunch of people who, who like argue that psychedelics are the way to enlightenment, yep. and this rabbi that I talked to, this very conservative rabbi who would have been horrified to know that I was married to an Austrian man and had no kids. Right. Because right, right, like right. The, the, the thing with Hasis is like, you stay in the tribe, you have lots of children, they're a mitzvah, yada, yada. Right. Um, like, I don't agree with any of that stuff, but he said this thing to me where he was like, no, you can't just like do some drugs and become enlightened. It is our job in the world to do the work, to make it a better place. Mm. And that, that to me, his, his, presenting this to me as like a cornerstone philosophy for the religious Hasidic people made me feel a um, connection to a kindness towards an indulgence towards a, um, a sect of my religion that I have, that I never thought I had anything in common with besides the fact that we had the same name. Right. Right. And that's not a travel story, but that is about me learning something about a a um, culture that is not my own, even though the Venn diagrams of our culture overlap. Yeah. Um, and I like I, I took that story with me and I think about it all the time. I think about it like just all the time because he's like, no, it's our job. It's our job to do the work in the world to make it a better place. And I'm like, that's like that's a bedrock lesson to take with you into the world that I learned from talking to this person whose values, whose culture, again, even though we overlap is so very different from the way I live my life. And so, so so how do you find out about the world though, if you're not a traveler and you're not a journalist, like how do you, how do you do it? You read like a mofo, (laughs) (laughs) right? You read broadly, you read widely and you don't underestimate the resources that you have available to you right in your hometown. Mm. I went to a street festival in a neighborhood near me that had all these Cambodian rappers. Mm. And I was like, what? That's a thing that's happening. Cambodian rap is a thing that's happening. Like, Two miles from my house? Yeah. What? You don't have to go that far to find things that are really different from what you um, 
what you're experiencing in your day-to-day life. Mm. And also the other thing is that I have found, and this is just a thing that I found working as a journalist, working as a writer, working as a person who by default has to talk to other people to produce stories, is that people are kind of dying to talk to you about the things they love. Listen to me going on and on right now about (laughs) a thing I love, right? In general, people are dying to talk to you about things that they love. And often the most innocuous question, like, how did you get into restoring World War II airplanes? We'll find you learning so much about another person's interests, uh, their history, their view of the world, just by asking this opening innocuous question that you could ask to anybody, like, what? There's a big Cambodian rap scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you should know about all these artists. And actually, you know, like this particular city is a hotbed for Cambodian rap in the U.S., <laughs> wow. right? Like, who knew? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I didn't know. And yeah. so you can find all these things. And seriously, that Cambodian rap festival was two miles from my house. Yeah. I had no idea. I was so stunned. And at the same time, there was like some big like quinceanera thing happening on another plaza, just like a block away. So it doesn't, you don't have to go that far. I mean, it's one of the, um, I mean, well, I mean, to, to let's, let's be clear. You also live in a pretty cosmopolitan city. Like not everybody has that, but I do, you know, but but I I take your point that there are other ways to, to, to find, to find um, out about other people. So, so let me, let me ask you this. If, if somebody wants to travel, and has never yeah. traveled before. All right. So let's yeah. assume that they can get the passport. They can get, um, right. they can get, they can leave the country. What, what destination would you say is a great destination for a brand newbie traveler who wants to travel internationally? Wow. Wow. I mm. mean, there's, I have so many questions that go sort of around that. Yep. Right. Like, like, um, are they a city person looking for culture? Are they an outdoors person? Are they, uh, you know, do they have particular interests? Like, so there's, there's that sort of narrowing it down on things, yep. but honestly, there are, I, there are no bad places. Mm, um, I love that. There, there, there just aren't because no. if you're going somewhere different, something is going to happen. You're going to have an adventure. You're going to learn something. You're going to talk to somebody you never would have talked to before. Yep. Uh, so I don't think that um, there's any place that would count as a bad place to go. Now, I'm not sure that I would send a beginning traveler to, say, New Delhi on a solo adventure. Right. Right, right, right. Because right. there are there's there are a some a lot of culture shock and things that you yeah, have to be yeah, open to. Um, yeah, there's a certain there are places there's like an there should be like an intensity rating. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like, okay, so like, what's the least what right? is the least so, intense destination for an American traveler, do you think, like, where they actually will feel like they've learned something about another culture? Right, right. Maybe Dublin, maybe okay. Ireland, yep. right? Because you have a common language. Yep. But th- and so navigating the logistics of a place like Ireland are it's pretty easy, right? Yeah. You're not going to have a whole lot of trouble talking to people. The Irish are super friendly in my experience. They're yep. just very, very happy. Often they have family and ties to America. So they're like, oh, yeah, my cousin lives where you live, this kind of thing. Right, right, right. But they also have um, uh, a deep personal history and a tie to their land and a culture of their own that is different than ours while still being super accessible. Yeah. I think that's, a, I think that's great. I, I, I have been to Dublin and I, and also I think, I think one of the things about Dublin that's really, 
that I didn't expect. I was living in London when I went to Dublin. Is right. For some reason in my mind, I assumed Dublin was huge. Like I assumed it was oh, London yeah. size. And I yeah. got there and I was like, oh, it's it's sort of a town. Like it's not a it's not an overwhelming kind of city. So it's like it's like a nice bite sized <laughs> um, yeah. city as well. Yeah. So yeah, Dublin's a fantastic. I, yeah. I, I love it. Like you could get a good urban hit off of Dublin, yeah. but you could, you could also be staying out in some neighborhood where you felt sort of, you know, like you were in a community and then you could make some trips out to the country yeah. and see like those rolling green hills and the old castles and stuff, which are, you know, so appealing and so ancient. Yeah. Uh, you know, people have been there for what, thousands, thousands and thousands yeah. of years. So, you know, it's really like it's easy. It's an easy entry point while still being super rich. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. Is there any downside to traveling, making traveling a, 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 a priority? It's expensive. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there, yeah. There's that. Um, there's, uh, I think that for some people it is genuinely addictive, mm. right? Like you get this and uh, maybe you don't, maybe I'm and you, the general, you, maybe the general public does not get the endorphin hit that I get off yep. being somewhere new, but like I get total endorphins off yep. it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I get into a cab in a foreign country after I've landed on the ground and like drive somewhere. I think a lot about, so I, I went to, um, I went to Kenya maybe four years ago now. Mm -hmm. And I got in the cab, you know, from the airport and I was so far from home and it was dark and it was noisy and the streetlights were really dim. And there was like weird birds sitting in trees. Yep. And like I'm leaning my head on the glass and there's these there's this guy in the collectivo next to me who's like smiling and waving at me like he knows me. And I'm like, just like, I'm like, I love that yeah. so much. Right. Like I get super high off of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that it's, it's possible that you can become addicted to that, to the distraction of everything else. Yep. And you can also become that, you know, I mentioned earlier, like what an insufferable young person I must have been. <laughs> and you, you can get that way too, yeah. where you're like, well, Europe's better. You right, know? right, like, right. You can get a little snobbish by having yeah, traveled. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. People can be really snobby and, um, and you can be really like, I'm not staying at the Motel 6, right? Yeah. Well, sometimes, <laughs> the, right? But sometimes the Motel 6 is like the best option. So yeah, well, um, I, I will tell you, um, I'm not camping. <laughs> I got that. I got that, Karen. I got it. You and, and my so, poor husband who are like, I, we I should get, go camping. That's not I, happening. I get it. I, I totally get it. But you know what I'm saying, right? I like do, you can yeah. be really, you can be kind of a jerk, right? Yeah. You can be like, you can, you can become so addicted to the things that are new that you don't appreciate the things that you have that are good. Yep. You can become really snobby. You can become really um, uh, exacting about what, what you need to get through. And yeah. so I think that it can make you, it can make you obnoxious. Yeah. Um, and also I would uh, like, you know, the camping thing, I would also say like, I don't camp, but um, camping is a really lovely way. If you are, if you are up for camping, um, I'm just, you know, anti-nature in general, <laughs> but if you are up for camping, it's a, it's a really good um, somewhat economical way to also like it can be, go yeah. out and see, and see the world or at least yeah. see, um, see the, state or the community near you right as yeah. opposed to like that's a really valid way all right my last question that i ask everybody who i always have on the show is how do you um find meaning and purpose in in your life and your work 
I feel like I've spent the whole hour kind of talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and I saw that question and I was like, I don't, I don't know when you sent the email over, I was like, I don't really feel like I have a good answer to this because partly because I'm in a personal, like my life is in a big transition right now. Right. And yeah. so, um, but all of that said, uh, I think that for me, the purpose is to learn about the world. And in addition to that, I find it extremely meaningful to share the context that I um, acquire as a result of mm. that process of learning. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It sounds a little, um, it sounds a little lofty and I don't really mean it to be so heady, but, but, you know, when I told you like that story about the rabbi or when I was talking about how um, we, like when I travel and I break these expectations uh, that I have about places, um, I feel like I learn something about the world that is worth sharing Yeah, every time that happens and, and that mm. it makes me understand sort of the subtlety of the differences that we have and the depths of our commonalities, which makes the world a easier place to live in. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Wow. Well, I could talk to you about travel and your adventures all day long. And unfortunately, we can't. But thank you. I'm so grateful to you for taking time to to join me on the Make Light Show. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. And can, can I pitch two small things? Please. While you have me on. Yeah. So there's two two things I want to talk about. One is that, you know, I have a book coming out. Yep. Yes. <laughs> no, November 2020. Yep. And uh, I have a I have an annoying pop up on my website right now where people can sign up to get very seldom updates on what's going on with the book and when they can get it. I promise it is not annoying. I promise I am not using that email for anything but to send book updates. I have sent two in the last four months. So that's the kind of thing it is. It just talks about the process of like getting my book out into the world. And the other thing that I want to make a pitch for is a project I'm working on with two other travel writers, Andy mm. Murdoch and Doug Mack. It's called statesider.us and we collect travel stories that make the U.S. seem like the three-dimensional place it is. Oh, and I feel I like that. during this sort of craziness in our divided coming up to the election, all the stuff that's going on in the political landscape, it's more important than ever for us to understand that we are a hugely diverse nation. And so that we also do a, a, a handful of original stories, but we're doing fundraising for that coming up. Anyway, that site is called statesider.us. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing both of those. And we will definitely have links to all of those things um, at the show notes, um, including some of the other stuff that we've talked about as well. So thank you so much. Um, we don't see each other enough, Pam. It's so I good know, having you Karen, here. <laughs> I know. I'm so, it's such a delight to get to talk with you. And you as well. Pam's love of travel is really infectious, isn't it? I love what she said about challenging ourselves to learn about other cultures and peoples, regardless of whether we can afford to travel. It's just amazing when you think about it, about what kinds of foods and festivals and other adventures might await you just in the next town over. Anyway, as always, I'll share all of the great information that she shared over in the show notes, including her website, her travel book recommendations and more. So be sure to go over to themakelightshow.com to check it out. And with that, that's it for this episode of The Make Light Show. Don't forget to check out karenwaldron.com forward slash coach because I'd love to work with you one-on-one -on -one to achieve your particular goals. 
And remember, if you mention that you heard this on the Make Light Show, you'll get 15% off a six-second package or 20% off a 12-session package. Trust me, we will make magic together. And of course, if you are looking for other ways to infuse your life with purpose and meaning, but you're finding yourself a bit stuck, well, send me an email. Send me any questions or challenges you'd like me to tackle here on The Make Light Show to karen at themakelightshow.com. And you never know, you might hear an answer to your question on an upcoming episode. I'm Karen Walrand, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks with all new tips and tricks to make light. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe, rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And with that, keep on making light, my friends. <laughs>